Do you know, your voice goes through different tones when you talk to different people in different situations. Yeah. Sometimes it goes really deep. Yeah. Do you know that? Yeah. Do you know what's happening? 100%. You consciously gaslight. I consciously manipulate people with my voice. With your voice. Is that yeah. something they taught you in sales? Maybe. No, they didn't teach me it in sales. I definitely used it in sales. Though. As a former ergonomics share salesman, what are you rating these chairs? I wasn't. Were you technician? Firstly, okay, sorry. Did I call you something wrong? I wasn't an ergonomics sales chair salesman. Right, what were you? I was a provider of ergonomics solutions. So my actual title would have been an ergonomics consultant. Consultant? Who happened, who happened to work for a company who provided some products that provided solutions. Sure, we're all, we're all consultants here, Darius, so we can't just be yeah. throwing out consultants. Let me just consult my phone and make sure it's on silent. Willy-nilly. Because Thursday afternoons are a busy time in the, the phone call game. Yeah, you, you, so I provided solutions. Uh, so I definitely wasn't a salesman. To be honest, I would have described you exactly as a salesperson. Sometimes I would have called you a cold calling salesperson. Other times I would have called you a traveling... <laughs> deli- Fucking hot calls, baby. You literally drove a van around with chairs sometimes to give to people that you had yeah. cold called. And let me finish. That you had cold called, said you want to buy this thing. Gaslighted them into thinking that they needed a tripod chair. And then brought that to them. So I feel like... Most of the time it was five star bases. Not tripods. Five star bases. It's actually a European uh, directive. Yeah. For in order for an office chair to be compliant, but I have to have a five star base. A pentagonal base. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Five wheels on the ground yeah. at all times. On the ground. Go round yeah. and round. Yeah. You know what they say though? Yeah. No, I don't actually. Go on. Your next position is the best position. Is that what you guys said in sales <laughs> for economics? That's what I rammed down people's throats. Yeah. If anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, Dara used to be fresh. Reasonable period of time, about six or seven months after college or after your master's in yeah. sports psychology and undergrad in sports yeah. science, he went into the the obvious route for a sports scientist <laughs> with two degrees was sales in, uh, yeah. usually it's like sales in McDonald's selling Big Macs, but uh, you chose... Jesus, that's rich. You chose a lucrative <laughs> career in... It was actually pretty lucrative, was it? Incredibly lucrative, yeah. I don't... Why did Incredibly you, lucrative. Imagine, why, I could have a mortgage now. Why did, when I say, I'm leaving, did you decide to agree with me? And Because ah, this is just going to be more fun. Like. <laughs> it hasn't proved that yet. The, that's yeah, three years ago there. That's crazy, isn't Over it? three years ago. Over three years ago. Yeah, because yeah, it was the end of August. Um, I, You could be happy now. I love that company. I enjoyed working there. Yeah. I feel like I'd really enjoy doing sales anywhere. Well, you're in the business of doing sales anywhere. Do you wish you could cold call people again? Yeah. I wish there was part, I wish there was something we offered that meant me having to do a list of 150 names of businesses and trick them into speaking to me on the phone. You really enjoy, so we do consultations. Yeah. With mostly at the moment, it's just, for want of a better alert, high level athletes or people who are trying to be professional athletes or people who currently are high level athletes and are trying to fix it that's essentially 100% of our yeah of our consultations at the moment and you really enjoy doing them you know yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of like to be honest situationally enjoyable so sometimes if someone calls up and you know let's say it's a rugby player yeah and they want to do whatever Sometimes it's kind of the same old stuff, but you really enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Whereas, for example, last week, we had a super interesting one. We had a strongman who's trying to become a professional. Yeah. Uh, Sam, I think we can say his name, can't we? I don't think he's... Oh. Maybe don't say his name. Well, yeah, I'll beep out. I'll just call him Sam. Yeah. I'll be able to find him. Sam has a 270 kilo bench press. I'm going to say Sam. <laughs> We've met a lot of freaks, talked to a lot of freaks, worked with a lot of freaks, people trying to go to the Olympics, people been to the Olympics, people trying to professional athletes people are professional athletes mm-hmm. and sam is the biggest freak i've ever met i think he might be close to clarence or beyond him in certain rounds he is more freakier mm. so we get the email and you get the metrics and you're like 270 bench and you're like he's gonna be no offense, he's going to be a fat mess or he's going to be a massive yeah. human. He, in fact, was not a fat mess. No, he was. <laughs> and we were talking about he wanted to improve his overhead specifically for strongmen. And he had a lot of very good questions. Super intelligent guy. Yeah. Lovely, lovely guy as well. But really 
it was great. I was enjoying it so much. But what made me enjoy it even more was while we were talking to him, he's like, this is my Instagram. And obviously we're trying to look at videos and get an idea of what's going on. And the more stuff, just as soon as you look at some people, Kelly Starrett talked about it in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a unicorn? You're like, no, but we have seen unicorns. So we have a pretty yeah. good vintage of what unicorns look like now. But if you don't need to see a unicorn to know when you see one, you don't have to have seen yeah. one before to know that when you see a unicorn, you're like, that's a unicorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And looking at Sam, I was immediately like, that's a unicorn. Sam was an absolute freak. It is funny when you look at those people as well, it's immediately apparent that they're not like anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've never had a. Was it the 270 bench press? Yeah. <laughs> Or was it the 120 kilos with abs? Oh, my God. But I've never had it happen where somebody's athleticism has grown on me. Yes. I've never had it where I've, like, met someone or trained with someone or coached someone where I'm like, oh, I didn't think you were good, but you're actually good. Mm -hmm. Never. Sometimes people's mindsets have thrown me a bit. Yeah. And I've thought that they're either going to be really good or really bad, and they've turned out to be the opposite. With the athleticism, it's literally never happened. And I'm... I've probably had 5,000 people through my hands for coaching. Jeez, I'd love to know the exact number of people through the hands over the yeah. last, at least a decade. It would be yeah. so interesting. But looking at Sam, just as soon as I like, saw one video, he was doing push presses. And there's things you kind of look for that are like telltale signs. So obviously a 270 kilo bench press, but that doesn't necessarily define the abstract athleticism that we all know when no. you see. But the way he was doing push presses, he had... White Addy powers on, Adidas tracksuit, was 120 kilos with abs, toes straight forward. Tucked in t-shirt, slender little waist. Slender little waist. Yeah. And just boom, boom, boom. Just yeah. The way he was doing strict presses was athletic. It was just so impressive. I actually think you can tell in the weight room, like when people are lifting weights, you can tell immediately if this person's serious or not. And it's never down to, you know, some people are like really insular and I'm really concentrating on this one now and like yeah. they make a big deal of it. It's almost never that. It's always just when they're working, you can see them working. Like Ashraf, the thrower we met in Qatar. Mm-hmm. Ashraf doing push-ups and V-ups was one of the most impressive things you could ever see in your entire life. The, yes. The V-ups, like the sit-ups, he was just horsing into them. Mm-hmm. And he's already an hour and a half into a session. He's already box squatted 275 kilos for mm-hmm. so many sets and reps. Yeah. He's done a load of rotational stuff, a load of really heavy stuff. And then you just see him hitting the sit-ups and you're like, this guy's different. He's not like everyone else. Yeah, it's that contractile properties he has when he was doing those sit-ups. I've never seen anyone curl up and extend so fast. Yeah. I've never, I just don't think I'll ever see someone do that again, you know. And it's, people talk about, you know, doping as like cheating and it is, for example, compared to somebody who's not taking gear, but... You just, when you see and you get to work with a lot of freaks over the years, you really are appreciated. Like, oh, it doesn't matter how much drugs I might take. I will just never be as good as him at throwing. Or I'm never going to be able to do that certain thing. Now, luckily, I'm talented in other areas, so that's, I can console myself at that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm looking at it from a really appreciative point of view. I'm like, this is amazing that this human is alive. I yeah. am so happy you are doing a thing I'm interested in that I can watch you do it. And in some cases, they're lucky enough to help them with those things. Yeah. I when I look at those people it's like looking at a horse for me like I'm not riding the horse mm-hmm. I don't own the horse yeah I'm not racing against the horse yes but I really like looking at them <laughs> they're just so they're so pleasing to look at you're like oh whatever that is yeah I know I don't like I don't want to be a horse yeah I might want to metaphorically be a horse or a mm-hmm. person but when you look at like a racehorse or a thoroughbred you're just like there's something in there I'd love, if I could pick one sport to bring an athlete all the way to the Olympics, I'd love to take someone in judo. I'd love if someone came next month was like, I'm so close to Olympic qualification and we just got to go to the next level. Is that because the sport of judo itself is interesting to you? Yeah, I really like judo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they would be interesting to work with because they're a... Like, getting people stronger is very simple. Mm -hmm. For us, I suppose, at this stage. For everyone, improving people's weightlifting more difficult but given reasonable circumstances that the average person create you can get them better getting people more powerful for their sport is probably the next echelon in that and judo is probably one of the purest expressions of that at the olympics in some fashions there's other things that are very similar of Mm. course but something like judo would be super interesting for maybe 100 meter sprint like if you got 100 meter if if you had the coach's badge yeah from 100 meter sprint and it was like 
Jimmy McGinty, 100 meter final coach underneath it. That's, that's with, the one. Wait, a track and field coach or SNC for him? SNC for him. But SNC doesn't help sprinters. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. 100 meter sprint's the coolest thing in the world. The thing is, 100 meter. They're meters, the fastest man alive. They are made by Bart and Chemicals. <laughs> So nothing else. So it's still the coolest thing ever. No, it is the coolest. I think it's the most sold out event. I think it's always Absolutely. sold out. And yeah. thinking purely from a selfish point of view, that would be the best thing for the business. We because everybody yeah. knows the fastest man alive. We are. We've tickets to the hundred kilo judo next year. I am so excited. Yeah. I wish my son was a bit older so we could bring him. But yeah, next, there's plenty of Olympics for well, if the Olympics is Olympi, just. Oh, I cannot wait to see that. Yeah. I was hammered in the... I could do an Uchimata too. That would be sick. Yeah, and the couple of weight classes. I actually can't remember what weight classes we have, but... We uh, need to make sure we don't lose those emails. Yeah, we need to make sure. Uh, someone actually, a, a, a client, a member of Seek Strength actually helped us out a lot, who's also a horse. A horse? Yeah. So no, I can't wait for that. That's going to be amazing. I can't wait just to be at the Olympics. Yeah, it's such a spectacle. Day drinking, day, <laughs> day drinking and smoking cigarettes Messy, at the Olympics. Messy white girl drunk. <laughs> Hopefully, people recognise us. Like, <laughs> no, I can't wait to be because everyone we'll be meeting over there will be like, this is their biggest work thing ever. You know? Yeah. Like if we bump into like. The Qatari guys, if we bump into the Koreans, yeah. we, like any of those people, yeah. they're really, really serious. But me and you are just over there on a jolly, like just taping the GoPro to their top pocket and going into the training yeah. hall. Oh, yeah. The so the Olympics are such CUNTs, basically, cons about videoing stuff at media. Mm. You know, they're um, you athletes used to be able to have any branding, like weightlifters used to have to put tape if yeah, you go back yeah. as far as 2016 over their knee sleeves. Now, I think in 2020, they allowed them to have a certain dimensions. You could yep. be under a certain dimension and you could have them because, man, it looks dumb if you're duct taping over your knee sleeves. I remember a time not very long ago, you definitely remember it as well, where on rugby players, scrum caps, they'd all have it taped over. Mm-hmm. So it used to be a thing, like, because Munster jerseys might have been made by Canterbury, but you might be wearing an Adidas scrum cap in your contract, you'd have to have it taped over. Mm. But I remember clubs players <laughs> with their Canterbury logo taped over just to look more like the pros, which no is way. looking back at it now, the cringiest thing ever. Did you do that? Never. No, no, no. Paris has gotten a battle rap in the last couple of years. Apparently a lot of the general vibe online and stuff is that, and people you meet, they like, Paris isn't that nice anymore. I was only there when I was six, so I actually don't have a lot of, what's that, 24 years ago, so... yeah. I had a great time in Disneyland Paris, so, I mean... <laughs> I'd say I was in Disneyland when I was six as well. Thumbs up from me. I, I was there a few weeks ago. For the, yeah. Great, great crack, great vibe. Mm-hmm. We did walk home from the stadium, which is like 3K. Yeah. And I walked home with my dad's friends. And I didn't realise, it was like one o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and we were leaving the stadium uh, late. So we were walking back, and we were walking back through like one of the rougher areas of Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, I was like completely belligerent to it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm big, strong guy, kind of drunk. Yeah. Uh, so it was only the next morning at breakfast. One of the lads was talking to my dad's friend. And he was like, "Oh, how'd you feel now walking back?" You know. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Sure. Why would I feel bad? I had Darren next to me." <laughs> I was like, "Dave, yeah. the only thing you should be worried about is running faster than me." Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's not a lot of guns in Paris, I don't think, you know, is there? No, I don't think so. I think it's a lot of slashing and knifing. Yeah, you are going to get caught in a knife fight, but I suppose if you're... Uh, once you get... Doesn't matter. Oh, careful, we're on a podcast there. That's, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Paris will be interesting to see how it... Yeah, I imagine that it got cleaned up a lot over the course of the Rugby World Cup. Mm-hmm. I know there were some, some big issues in the south of France at the start in those first few games crowd issues crowds clashing with locals um, but when we were over there for the Ireland-Scotland game there was like Irish Gardaí had been flown out there that's a thing that happens all the World Cups is uh, it? most countries will bring some guard or police people can you imagine what that guard had to do to get that gig I would love to know yeah they definitely ran into a house that was on fire and saved like 14 children yeah, I'd say it's probably someone's dad was working somewhere and they That's got him. That's more likely, yeah. They, I think they sent over a few of them, I think. A couple of people go over, I think, to do it. There's like, I'd say there's 10 guards outside the stadium. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, it's a great thing. idea. It's a bit weird, but. 
it is what? an optics thing definitely but you'd like what powers are invested in them though but following like going into the stadium there right you probably pass 150 armed French police men and women yeah what were they armed with MP5s mm. or MP7s if I remember correctly tactical home defence MP5 fully fully blacked out uniforms yeah riot helmets on like they were ready to go and raid somewhere mm-hmm. readiness like gun at low ready the whole time there's yeah. no like hanging on a sling gun is here usually in groups of like three or five no slings they have them on slings like single point slings but at low ready like okay. they're not they're not just hanging there like mm-hmm. the boys are ready to go at all times yeah and for Irish people anyway that's massively like we don't have armed our normal police force isn't armed yeah so I think then when you walk in and you're seeing all this you're like Jesus this is a bit mental like is there about to be something happen here and then you see Jimmy O'Mahony from the Bantry Garda station you're yeah. like oh this is Grant was he armed the lads are of course he wasn't armed one of them had his cap on backwards. Have we, talk, <laughs> have we talked about why the Irish guards aren't armed or the base unit isn't? I think we have. So for anyone who wasn't, no, basically there was a civil war in Ireland after war for independence and everybody was armed. Everybody. Like, there was guns everywhere. The entire populace knew where guns were, had hidden guns, were using guns, had used guns. And basically, as a way of... What would you call it? As a way of... Putting the best foot forward and leading by example is probably a better way of saying it. The Irish government were like, look, the police won't even be armed or the normal police won't yeah. be armed to show that no one's going to have guns. And it was a big offence. People were executed. Not that many. If you had a gun, if you were caught with a gun after... Were there people executed? Yeah, if you had a gun in public or whatever, if you were known, there was... Yeah, yeah, It was yeah. like... you had, Well, that had to because yeah. it was such a brutal civil war. It didn't go on for long, but obviously there was a lot of uh, bloody... Yeah, battle. There's a lot. A lot happened. So it was. It was a really obviously tumultuous time, and so they, one of the ways was the police weren't armed. That was one of the reasons they weren't armed was to show that like we want to get rid of guns, we want to become a more peaceful nation. I, for one, wish we'd kept all the guns. <laughs> no, I think it. I think the police force being unarmed works very well. Yes, we don't. I can rarely think of times where publicly there's been an outcry for the guards to be more armed. Yes. It, it, I can't think of any, actually. Yeah. Um, there are Then there's like armed response units in all the big cities. Yeah. So you're always within touching distance of an armed response unit. But yeah. for the everyday run-of-the-mill no, no, no. police officer yeah. or guard, uh, there, I don't think there's any need for them to be fully armed. Like most, I think a lot of detectives are armed, but the gun is in the car. Yeah, I think all detectives are armed. Yeah. The, so I actually had one, this is one of the things I prepared for the, the shit talk. This is the nerdiest thing ever, by the way, as well, preparing for the shit talk. Oh, they're going to say what I was going to read out is nerdy, and I was like, no. no, this is not nerdy. So there was one of the revolutionaries in 1916, Podrick Pierce. Yes. Apparently, one of our good friends pointed out that he was probably Patrick Pierce. Yes. And they posts humiously, humilously mm-hmm. plied Podrick, the uh, Gaelic or the Irish name for Patrick, on him to make it seem more like he was a Gwail Gore yeah. when he he was actually multilingual though he could speak French fluently Irish and English so very interesting he was a poet but I don't know how much of the revolutionary stuff you've read or if anyone's read it but there's one of his books Podrick Pierce is called The Peace of the Gale okay and uh, some of the language they use is outrageous so this is them talking and they this is them talking about war here and the stuff the thing is they follow through Podrick yeah. Pierce was a man who read the proclamation for yeah, independence yeah, yeah. outside the GPO in 1916 and was subsequently executed, but it is for the good of the world that such things should be done. The old heart of the earth needed to be warmed with the red wine of the battlefields. Such august homage was never before offered to God as this, the homage of millions of lives given gladly for love of country. Then it is because the peace is so precious a boon that war is so sacred a duty. Ireland will never find Christ's peace until she has taken Christ's sword. What peace she has known in these latter days has been the devil's peace. Peace with sin, peace with dishonour. It is a foul thing, dear only to the men of foul breeds. Christ's peace is lovely in its coming, beautiful are its feet on the mountains, but it is heralded by terrific messengers. Seraphim and cherub blow trumpets of war before it. We must not flinch when we are passing through the uproar. We must not faint at the sight of blood. Winning through it, or those who survive, shall come on to great joy. We and our fathers have known the Pax Britannica, to our sons, we must bequeath the peace of the gale. 
Fucking Jesus hell. Christ. It's crazy, isn't it? But Jesus. It's he- heavy going. Yeah. But they followed through, was the thing. They followed through. Yeah, like he died, he literally was died for. Yeah. Isn't it crazy though? Yeah, 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 yeah. Then I always wonder, like, what do they, what would they think of the country now? And I don't mean that in a, like, would they be happy? Everyone, the average person is doing all right. Like, would they look at the wealth? You'd, you'd have to assume that the North would bother them massively. The fact that the North is still not at peace. Well, a lot of them were okay with that. that no, was, no, yeah. not the fact that it's six counties. Mm-hmm. The fact that there's still trouble going on up there. Yes. I don't, yeah, I think a lot of them would be okay with that. Or there'd be a proportion of them, it won't be anyway. But I think the fact that there's still trouble going on and the whole island isn't at peace is probably... I could see myself getting caught up in that in 1916 because they weren't... 100%. After 1916, they were... Until they were executed, they were viewed very poorly. Mm. They were viewed as kind of troublemakers, just upsetting the peace. They were, you know, seen as people who are just kind of leave well enough alone at this yeah, stage. It's yeah. been 800 years or so. And uh, of course, thank God they did what they did. Yeah. But I'd love, to, yeah, I'd love to know what they would think if they were alive now, you know, if they would yeah. make of it. Did I tell the story on the podcast about the informer being killed in my grandmother's farm? I don't think so. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that doesn't sound familiar to me even. So this is this wasn't familiar to me until very recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my an aunt, a grand aunt of mine was in oh my god, I was about to say incinerated. Uh, was cremated mm-hmm. and her ashes were scattered. When her ashes were scattered, her son came over from the UK. And obviously these stories are all within the family, but they're all like differing levels of detail within the story. Right. So there was always a known thing that an informer had been killed by the IRA in my grandmother's aunt's farm, which is right next door to my grandmother's farm. It's now the same farm. So mm-hmm. it was always known that this man had been killed. There was no more details, but my mother's cousin came back from the UK with the full story. So the story is, on that farm... Dan Breen, the man who fired the first shots of the War of Independence in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Dan Breen got married in secret a number of nights before that happened, right? So there's obviously a massive amount of black and tan retaliations and stuff going on at the time. Massive amounts of trouble in the area. And a local boy was like kidnapped by the black and tans or taken by the black and tans and tortured. So... They took out his eyeballs, like cut his fingers off and stuff, came back to the farm. He might have been working for my relations at the time. And the story was that that boy died, but that boy was actually killed by the IRA for informing, even though he had been tortured. So Who tortured him? The black and tans. Oh, they actually did torture yeah. him. So that story has been in the family for years. Right. But it, so it was kind of, it's unknown whether he was put out of his misery or whether he was executed by the IRA for informing. Nobody really knows. But it was only this year we found out he's actually buried where an old woodland used to be on the farm. Okay. So it's crazy. My grand-aunt's ashes were scattered around there. Was there a reason for that? Did she... I think just as a bit of reconciliation or something for it. Was the local boy... Was he in any relation to you or anything like that? Or? I don't think so. Does, did he know his identity? No. Fuck. So the problem with a lot of the stuff after the War for Independence, and it's probably a cultural thing, or after all of that hectic initial part of the 20th century for Ireland was the first 22 or three years, was that a lot of secrets were kept, you know, and mm. a lot of Irish people are still very insular. And yeah. Want to know other people's business, but will not tell anything about their own business. And unfortunately, I think from a historian's point of view, from the people who do that, you know, there's a lot of great people out there who do that, but a lot of them just took secrets to the grave, quite literally, to the grave with them. Didn't talk about a lot of stuff. Obviously, a lot of the things the auxiliaries did, or the black and tans, was kind of off the records, or they were given carte blanche permission to do whatever. And none of that was recorded, of course. Like many of the stuff the the British Empire did, a lot of the, just very interestingly, uh, a lot of when the British Empire kind of realised that it was kind of its in its detros in the the twentieth century, a lot of the stuff that happened was in places like you know India and the regions around there, mm. or other places maybe in Africa. If they had any records of stuff and they knew things were going bad, 
one of their prerogatives prerogatives was to destroy the paperwork, you know, and I assume there must have been similar happenings in Ireland. I know the thing in Ireland with the secret keeping is definitely down to houses being kind of so divided against each other as well. Yes. You know, like, because it might be one brother attacking another brother because they're on different sides of Mm -hmm. that ideals, you know, and then the parents obviously not wanting that to get out and the family just generally not speaking about it forever afterwards. Yeah, you just people wanted to make up and move on. Yeah. Pretty pretty brutal. Absolutely. Even like our parents' generation, there's massive secrets within a lot of families and people would never know. Yeah, it's it's mad the way we are the way we are now, you know. Yeah. Very, very lucky, you know. That's as well why don't when people take the piss out of Irish people for having like oh no emotion or you never talk about it, or everything's a piss take with you like yeah yeah lads you should have met our grandparents yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> our parents like, even yeah, yeah. there Zach did that one of the videos actually he was like oh what's this an Irish it was in the Clarence video and I was like no as an Irish male you should never express any communication <laughs> I just want you to tell you with grunts later you know it's yeah no it is uh it's it's changing though I think uh I always think when I look at uh other people of my age who are parents I think it's like, uh, I'd love to know how our parents looked at each other when they were parents. Because obviously yes. when you grow up with people and people you know, and then they become parents, people like my brothers or people my age or even strangers who I know are similar ages to me. When I'm like, when you have kids, it's so funny because you understand that, you know, okay, we're not actually, we're not really, like, you know when you're younger and you're a child and you view your parents as this fully developed yeah. Complete, perfect entity perfect entity who knows all and is all and yeah. has everything figured out and has been around for hundreds of years but then you're like oh we just did our final year exams a couple of years ago and now we have kids you know and it's it's interesting to see it's interesting to see people change as they have kids but it's also interesting to see the same people I can see in them that they're just trying to figure it out as well you know you're just trying to 100% see what's going on you know there's no when you think about your parents having kids or having you, you imagine them being fully formed parents and knowing what to do. But in reality, they were going through the same thing and hundreds of thousands of generations of adults have had to do that same thing Yeah, for literally hundreds of thousands of years, you know, thousands of generations of humans. There's a funny parallel in coaching where you just need to be 100% confident that people will believe what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, you <laughs> That's got why you never doubted your parents because you're yeah. like... Obviously, I'm not going to doubt them. They have, they, uh, they have an air of authority and superiority. Like, there's no way. But you do... I think there's kind of that idea then, though, a little bit. And I think... I don't know if it was Jordan Peterson who talked about that, but it was kind of like, oh, your parents kind of don't know anything. But that's not true either. Like, you know, no. very obviously do have a good idea of a lot of things that's going on, you know? 100%, yeah. On that subject of the uh prepared piece number two prepared piece number two i did want to, i often think this things is about the it. death song of a maori warrior <laughs> now there's a history that would oh be oh my god they i do envy them a little bit because they're definitely more in touch with their culture yes yeah yeah but a lot of what happened in ireland especially after cromwell you know there's about six hundred thousand citizens estimated to be killed during way more than soldiers there's only 30 or forty thousand soldiers what? a lot of those soldiers were english soldiers as well who were royalist or not you know yeah yeah and one of the big things was the eradication the purpose of eradication of the irish culture and speaking irish was yeah it's a huge issue but there's i thought this was quite interesting this is in the thumbnail so people are wondering <clears throat> someone commented on last week's or the other one we talked about sam sulek yeah They're like i'm half an hour in and you boys got me didn't even talk about it but we actually did talk about it we did yeah, yeah but a very well-known figure chris chris uh rich froning has been on a hunting shtick. Yeah. And I'm very interested. I haven't, purposely haven't talked to you about this because I want to talk to you about it on the podcast. Yeah, you sprung it on me before we came in here. Because a lot of time we talk about stuff off the podcast I know people would like. And I want to see what you think, you know, because you've been hunting for 18 years. 13. Nearly 17 17 years. 17 years, yeah. I've been hunting for six years now, maybe five or six years we don't do any videos and stuff. We would like to, but there's reasons we can't or yeah. won't. But Rich Froning has gone heavily on the hunt. Yeah. And obviously, very big figure. 1.4 million followers. Massive. And he's, of course... Fittest going to, man in history. history. <laughs> obviously going to draw a lot of ire. Yeah. And this is one time I will flash the photo on the screen here, just if anyone needs to have a quick look. It's the thumbnail as well, so you know. 
So that I'm is. I'm gonna pull up this photo just so I can see it. What is that actually? Do you know what it's that an is? Elk. Is that just an elk? Yeah. Okay. It's a. It's a eleven point eight elk. So he's put up a lot of these. What I would call, in no way graphic, but these would be very graphic to a lot of people. It's it's funny because my my entire Instagram feed is this. Like that's not like they're the most curated hunting photos I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. And that's fine. That's his Instagram. His image. Now, there's a couple of these posts like this, but on this particular post, there's just one comment under 1,100 comments. And he's sponsored by some big names. Six Hour, for example, sponsored yeah. him. Six Hour, a, a weapons manufacturer. So I'm just going to read out some of the comments. And these are very, very common. Uh, I get these in my stories sometimes when I put them up. People that follow me will reply shit like this when they talk about hunting or, you know, I have a freezer full of... There's six animals in my freezer currently, four deer, two yeah. sheep. Killed all of them, yeah. butchered all of them. With like, your bare hands. Bare hands. You rugby tackled one of the sheep. <laughs> <laughs> you did uh, the most... I don't think we could tell people. <laughs> the, the most legal rugby tackle. Jeez, that was a great rugby like, tackle. Like, that would have been a legal tackle. It was, like, low by the waist as they passed you on. Perfect, yeah. But some of the comments are, kills an innocent animal and believes he's a good Christian, deluded. Disappointing to see this killing a defenseless animal for sport. Poor... Thumbs down, torture better than this. Um, this picture is sick, but I don't know if that's like, you. it's sick, or brother, that's sick. This is sick, bro. Real men don't kill. Love you, love CrossFit, hate this. <sighs> Sucks you didn't fall off the cliff. Ooh. Imagine giving out someone for killing, and then, and then hoping they die. die. Funny how Rich Ronin praises the Lord every five minutes, but uploads a dead elk and a morbid stuff to social media. I mean, I can eat meat, but I don't go full Christian all day and show things that knowing will irritate people. Oh, I'm just here for the comments. That is funny. The oh, this is. I can't believe you heard that cat. This is painful. I. What I always what I think about that is that I'm never annoyed at those people. I don't I don't really care what they think. You know, they don't thankfully have any impact on what I can do. Mm. But what I always think is very interesting is they're so disassociated from everything. The everything they're so disassociated from the current meat providing system. Yeah, and they have no idea what happens. No appreciation for it. But what I'm really, what I really think is interesting is they're super dissociated from history of humans, you know? Yeah. And I, people talk about this a lot and, you know, it's been butchered a lot, that kind of evolutionary thing and you come back to nature and society's ruined us and all that stuff. And But in this scenario, from my point of view, I'm always like, holy shit, you are so removed from what every generation of your ancestors did for you to yeah. get here and now you're being a little bitch. You know, if someone's a full-on vegan mm-hmm. like full on no animal products they can comment on that all day long yeah i they can sorry they can make comments to me yes about that all day long i listen to those comments that's absolutely grand if that person eats meat uses any animal products has any any sort of extractive use of animals mm-hmm. i'm just like nope you should never ever be able to make a comment about that yeah like that that elk was there. I think he said it took him 15 days. That's crazy. Crazy. Like, that's obviously not just some, like, high fence game farm operation, you know. Like, he's obviously out there in the mountains doing it. 15 days hunting. Gets one elk. That elk is just there feeding on the mountainside or else it's running around rotting. The fact that it's October, it's probably not rotting anymore. It's probably yeah. rotted out. Idaho. Suddenly, its heart explodes and dies. Yeah. Like, that is the best death that animal could ever ask for. And as well, in terms of, like, his point of view, wanting to get the best meat possible, that's fully wild. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, meat in the States is massively problematic. Most of it is factory farming. If you want to get it from, like, any of those bespoke providers or artisan butchers, it's incredibly expensive. I've no doubt Rich probably paid 10 grand to shoot that elk. Yes. But it's still... A hell of a lot better than getting something from a feedlot. The some people's problem with it is the the social mediafication of that. You yes, know? Uh, I think it's. I don't really have a problem with that at all. To be honest, no. I love hunting media. There's a lot of people I watch regularly who are <laughs> fantastic hunters. You know, they're really interesting. The funniest part about this is that the American hunter 
is one of the most ethical hunters in the world. Mm. And there's a good reason for that. The only reason he can probably shoot that elk is because the American system probably the best in the world definitely I think yeah well no they call it the North American model of wildlife conservation so the North American model yeah. of wildlife conservation probably the best in the world it's super yeah. sustainable they reckon there's more deer on the continent of North America or the North American continent than there ever has been at any point yeah. especially white tailed deer for example that is pretty much entirely due to the conservation efforts they want the money they want the wild parks they have yeah Theodore Roosevelt was actually a huge proponent of those wild parks yeah he was like one of the few presidents who kind of put the work into it but he as an American hunter not Rich Froning as a person I don't know Mm -hmm. him but as an American hunter you are literally one of the most ethical hunters on the planet absolutely everything you do is to ensure that you can keep doing that and that those animals are there yeah there's one thing we talked about and I hate this, but I appreciate why it's there, is trophy hunting in Africa. So I think most people know the story now of kind of why trophy hunting in Africa is still available. It's because those animals just wouldn't be there. Yeah, it's otherwise. the only reason there's animals on wild land in Africa. But I hate the social mediafication of that. You'll be watching it sometimes and it'll be just fat, out of shape old man, probably hardly ever hunted before. Just walks up, is led in by two keepers and gun on the sticks and shoots a lion who's just lying down. Sometimes they look like they're drugs, not going to lie. Nah, they're not drugs. Sometimes they do. Lions sleep for like 20 hours a day. Sometimes they're just watching them. They're 50 meters away and they'll shoot in the ass or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's the shot placement for me. Sometimes They'll spine it and they probably won't headshoot them and I hate it. Yeah. But I still appreciate it. I don't go commenting on YouTube videos. I don't start oh making videos God. about it. Because I understand the only reason those lines are there is because this really rich American or Austrian. Yeah, because those people exist. That he'll pay up to 100 grand sometimes or more. For it's it's also the reason we, like, if you went to Africa and you wanted to go on safari and take pictures of animals. Because yes. that's, that's the thing. People say, like, a blood-free safari would give the same money. Mm-hmm. So it really, really doesn't give the same money. And it doesn't... There would be no wild parks in Africa like even something like Kruger Mm -hmm. wouldn't exist if it wasn't for large scale trophy hunting in Africa full stop Mm -hmm. like full stop South African government is collapsing and falling apart that land would be sold off as quickly as you could possibly imagine like the stock of wild animals that exist in Africa only exists because rich people want to go and kill them and put them on their wall it's depressing yeah to a cer- to a very very large extent, if the economy in Africa was better and you had more people in Africa wanting to do hunting like they have in the states, very strong economy, so you don't get as much poaching, and you have a very very strong public interest in hunting, then that model where public people like normal people go and hunt could work. Unfortunately, in Africa though, that will likely never be the case. The situation in Ireland is really interesting because we are literally overrun by mm. the year we have so many deer it's incredible they have the environment they're in is incredible because there's no more natural predators for them there's is it was it f- how many thousand licenses were there last year was it three, three and a half thousand three and a half thousand five thousand maybe shot about fifty thousand deer i think and okay was it fifty something like fifty thousand and realistically, it was about 1% of those 3,500 did most of the shooting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a large number of that, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's... The thing with Ireland is, like, two-thirds of our deer species are invasive. Like, fallow yeah. and sika mm-hmm. are invasive. Red deer are far rarer. Um, and in the main head of red deer in Ireland, in Kerry, you can't shoot them. So it's a... Um, it is a... In a lot of other cases, if it was an invasive species like that, they'd just be cleared out and wiped out. Now, I think the deer herd is a bit too big for that to happen in Ireland at the moment. But there's uproar. Like, there's... There are massive meetings happening, speeches happening in the Dáil about the problem with deer numbers in Ireland. Yes. And our biggest issue now is just that not enough people involved in hunting and not enough people educated in hunting to say, okay, we can use the hunting system or you can use a model of conservation to to monitor these and to to reduce the numbers. Like if we had if we had the same representative or sorry, if we had the same percentage of people interested in hunting as a state like Pennsylvania and the States, I think it's like one in three people 
one in three people in Pennsylvania are have a deer hunting license or are married to one. Yes. So, like, it's absolutely crazy. In Ireland, because the massive proportion of people, huge amount of people live in Dublin, like a massive portion of the population of the island lives in Dublin, and then a lot of people live in the city or have moved from the country into suburban environments, don't really have any idea about hunting. Like, yes. I guarantee you most people who commented on Rich Froning's video, guarantee you most of those from the UK. Like, or else we're from the coastal elite areas of the states. Yeah. Like, the uh, hunting interest or understanding of hunting is virtually zero if you live in a building that has a lift in it. Yeah, yeah. Or an elevator. The problem here in Ireland is that they'd make a decision that's detrimental <laughs> and they have no understanding of the the outcomes. With the Irish government, you just never know. It could be like, we're handing out hand grenades. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hand grenades only after September. So there's going to be claymores at every track that we can see deer crossing ditches and we're just going to keep putting there until we get rid of all the deer. Yeah, so the Scottish, the Scottish system just changed a few weeks, or a few days ago, sorry. And they basically put an open season on all male deer which is kind of crazy i know there's a massive pressure coming from the forestry commission in scotland which forestry commission in scotland have the same kind of pull as the ifa do in ireland the irish farmers association so the deer or the forestry commission have been pushing for this for the last decade or so where you've no seasons and you can shoot them at night with thermal or night vision sites crazy which is crazy but I feel like we're going to get something similar to that coming down the line very soon. I was reading, moving on a little bit, the Stephen Ellis book you got me. Yes. Outdoor Kids and Indoor World. Yeah. Very interesting book, very good. He's a great writer. Is he? Incredible writer, yeah. I love it. I've read a couple of his books now. The only book I've read of his is a cookbook. Yeah, that's not, I suppose that's not it's really. not a book. like. No, but his cookbook is very good though. Yeah. But uh, his book is good and I do think about getting my son involved in outdoor stuff, you know. Yeah. And... So we live in a rural village, but yes. it's not, compared to where I grew up, it's the city, like, you know. Ah, uh, you grew up in the shticks, like. Yeah, like, that's what people, back of beyonds is what people yeah. call, you know. And I loved it, and I had a great time, and a lot of involvement in nature all the time, you know. Yeah. Like, literally fishing, literally picking berries. That's not even an idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally making jam with four kilos of sugar in them. Yeah. A lot of different things. Farming, horses, cows. And I just, I always think there's no way I can replicate that, you know. And the farm is very close. The farm is only a 20-minute drive. And my father and brother are still farming that farm. And but there's just no way of replicating the same... The wildness. This environment, just the whole immersion in it, you know. Yeah. So I'll, I'll try my best, you know, and hopefully... Hopefully when he's older, he'll want to hunt. But that's a, a long way away yet, realistically. Yeah. I and, think there's so many steps in between. Yeah. There's like going out picking the berries and stuff in September or August and September. Yeah. There's like fishing. Smashing fish into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> There's like catching first fish, cooking your first fish, all that. Yeah. that's It's all like this little breadcrumb trail through the forest. Now, he doesn't know, but pretty much every weekend of his life so far, he's been in some kind of mountain or forestry. Mm. He hasn't been propelling himself through it yet, but someone's been carrying him or pushing him, you know? Yeah. And, you know, literally, I'd say three weekends out of a month, he, he's rarely at home, you know. And yeah. he is either carried, getting pretty heavy to be carrying. He's nearly 15 kilos now. So it's, uh, I just got to have to he's see how it develops. He's 15 kilos, is he? He's like 13 and a half now or something. So a year and a bit old. He's eating some amount of food He's now. a horse of a child. His grip is getting so strong. I was saying, so he's 14 months old now and he can hold on, like put his feet on my hips and hold on to my shoulders by himself, you know. It's mental. It's crazy, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what it'll be like when he's older, you know. What's, yeah. Uh, where the stuff I is. can't wait to bring him poaching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You're going to lose your license. <laughs> Someone will report you. What music you listen to at the moment? To my, make it lighter. So, my music taste, as you well know. Yeah, Is, is uh, not wrong. No, it's just different. So my music taste fluctuates quite a lot. I'll go through these phases of like listening to normal music that everyone else listening to. Then I'll go through very heavy traditional music. And then I'll go to like American country and Western. Mm -hmm. And American country and Western is where I'm at at the moment. I actually think it started back in August with Richmond, north of Richmond. 
You've been in sucking American country for about 10 months. Ten, I actually have, yeah. You've been spinning your wheels in there. You know what it was? Is after I finished running. Oh, was it? Yeah, because I used to just listen to the same music all the time when I'd run. And then it was just like, oh, I'm just going to change up and not listen to that again. I've been, as a lot of people know, if you watch my Instagram videos, you'll hear the songs in the background. So you'll be able to tell what I'm listening to. I'm sorry, you think I have a diverse taste in music? <laughs> what? Do you, you have a wrong taste in music. <laughs> that song, Five Years Time, you know, it's like in five years time. Yeah, no, the whale, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lana Florence Machine, back in Mumford and Sons, they, I wish they'd just released another folk album, like their newer stuff. Mumford and Sons are done, I think. So one of them left, Winston, you saw that, I was yeah. saying that before, he basically got cancelled out of it, but a lot of people think he might have just wanted to leave and use it as an excuse and the band so the three original members are still rolling mm. Marcus Munford will always Munford and Sons will always be it's that voice one of my favourite bands yeah it's just incredible yeah I saw them live five years ago six years ago maybe absolutely phenomenal phenomenal I'd love to, yeah I've seen them live as well and I'd love to see them live again yeah Florence the Machine I got to see her this summer live yeah. Wasn't blown what away. What is the machine one? Because is That's it the band, like, isn't it? But is it is it the same band all the time? I actually don't even know. It's is just, the machine I'm just listening to a her euphemism for the music industry? No, I think the machine is her band, I think. But is it like the same band members all the time? I don't know. I'm just listening to her singing. I don't even know. Because like the sons are the same in Mumford and Sons all the time. But one of the sons is gone now. Yeah. I but Mumford and Sons, I fucking love it. Imagine if they had a prodigal son incident and he came back. Yeah. He was the main kind of musical director, wasn't he? Well, he was... Wasn't that the big thing, that he used to kind of run the harmonies and all that? He was the lead head guitarist and head banjoist. It's Country Winston on the banjo. Like. It's, it's surely not banjoist. It is now. <laughs> I really want to learn to play the banjo, but I unfortunately just don't have the time. You bought a ukulele around eight years ago, and I've never once seen you strum a chord on it. There was a couple of things wrong with that. When I bought the cheapest ukulele... <laughs> Which I told you not to buy. No, you said I was like, fine. no, there was a classroom for like 150 euro. And uh, you and you bought a you 17 strung it wrong. euro. You, str- you tuned it wrong. And then... Oh my God. And then John tried, to, our most musically talented friend. Our Clarence Kennedy, her Sam of musical talent. Clarence Kennedy is to weightlifting and power sports. John Shields is to musical accoutrement. I was like, oh, this is just going to keep losing its tune. So I can't... Because you bought a shite band or ukulele. No, I can't play the accordion anymore because the house is too small and I'm going to annoy no everyone. No way. Yeah, well, I would annoy What about in the shed? I'm sure annoy everyone outside the shed than the neighbours. <laughs> are you, are you, are you accordions? Are accordions, um, loud, yeah. Sensitive to moisture? No. They're not? My accordion is, accordions strike me as something that would melt in the rain. I think my accordion is about, 40 years old? It is not. Yeah, it is. 100%. Bought it for 200 euro. I didn't buy it for 200 euro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought it for 200 euro about 20 years ago. Yeah. My mother bought it for 200 euro. My uh, God. Taught myself to play it. And it was... Small box accordion. At least accordion. 20 years old when I got it. Maybe longer. A Horner. You've probably heard of that. <laughs> oh, I've heard of that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Horner. I didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, bought an accordion. I, what I didn't really... There's so many box jokes to be made here. Stuff. So they... <laughs> The slang for the accordion is the box, you know, yeah. which when you're in the musical. So I don't love, I don't love the uh, trad scene in Ireland when young people. Jesus Christ. They're very pretentious, some of them, I bet. No, be they're honest. just a bit hipster. Yeah, they're not, lads, they're not the ones drinking points is all I'll say. Unless it's a Mary Waller person. Yeah, see, I love, there's a lot of good music I listen to. There's a new band called Amble. They have a song called Lonely Island. Is that the fellow who sounds, they sound really like E Vagabond? Yeah, I think that was yeah. it. There's Kingfisher as well, are very good. Is Kingfisher the one that sounds like Dermot Kennedy? Yes, that's yes, it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of good Irish musicians. Dermot Kennedy, obviously. Yeah. Hosier. Yeah. It'd be great if we get them on the podcast. It would be great. <laughs> you share this, will you? It would be great if we could get them to the pub and have a sing-song. I'd wish more people could listen to the Tammy podcast. Not for views, but I mean for a lot of athletes could appreciate it because we coach obviously a lot of people, you yeah. know, and... Sometimes they just don't appreciate how much easier they have us yes. than it could be, you know. And uh, as a coach, obviously, you know, when you keep saying to someone, there's only so much you can say and mm-hmm. there's only so much someone can listen. But when you hear someone who had to learn to speak English by themselves, had to translate for their parents who literally had nothing growing up. Yeah. Mother and f- sister were, our mother and brother were back home thousands of miles away. 
almost uncontactable, couldn't go home. And then they have kids and businesses now and they're trying to get to the Olympics, essentially yeah. unfunded until she'd already made her way to the spot to get to the Olympics. Yeah. You know, and she put herself in those scenarios. And I just want more athletes to listen to that. Even if we're not coaching you, I just want people to listen to that just to appreciate how both in the positive slice and that you can make your situation be the situation you want it to be. Yeah. You really can, you know, and you can do your best to set it up and it's it is within your control. And a lot of times people don't like to hear that, especially I hate to use afraid in this day and age, but with the certain kind of cultures making its way online, there is a little bit of the whataboutism or the kind of a bit of the victimhood. Yeah. And some people obviously have it really hard, but we talk about putting ourselves in the situation we wanted to be in to do the things we want to do. We don't talk about it that much anymore. We used to, though. We used to talk about it a lot more, yeah. you know. And I like Tammy because there is a scenario where people are like, oh, you're just white males who grew up in Ireland and you just, you had it easy. Whereas yeah. Tammy literally couldn't be the farthest thing from us. And she's put herself in this situation, you know. So it's a good example of not listening to us keep talking about it. It's an example of someone who is literally very aware that she did that as well. Yeah. I think the biggest problem people have there is a lack of introspection. Like, they'll listen to Tammy or they'll hear what Tammy's saying. Mm -hmm. Like, someone with a level of mental resilience that we could, most people probably never contemplate having. Like, yep. gone through massive amounts of very, very hard stuff, continuing to make decisions to, to prolong that suffering. Like, Tammy is in the position where Tammy could just stop weightlifting. Yeah. yeah. Tammy stop weightlifting. Everything would still be great. But she's still pushing as hard as she possibly can, making, like, not making her life difficult. Yeah, she is making her life like, difficult. Yeah, she doesn't need to do that. No, incredibly hard things constantly. And I think when people hear that, it's the same as them listening to Goggins or something. They never actually turn around and say, you know what? I am being soft. Yeah. Or, you know what? I could be a bit better with my diet. I'm just not really giving it the time. I pretend like I'm busy and I can't prep it or whatever, or I pretend like I can't get to the physio an extra day of the week because I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. But in fact, I could not go on the piss once a month. Yeah. And it would make a massive difference to all that. I think that's people's bigger issue, not so much in not seeing those incredibly motivating people like Tammy is or like loads of those individuals are. Mm -hmm. But the problem isn't not so much those examples not being there it's more holding yourself up next to the example and being like oh shit actually I'm not doing any of these things yeah like I think about I'd really try and not complain you know and it's something I've always had a pet peeve is when people are talking about oh coach made me do so much volume today and there's a certain breed of weightlifters and I won't rag on them who you know they are where they're always complaining about training you shut the fuck up <laughs> but they I really make a point, you know, especially in the current training block, which a lot of people are paying attention to, and a lot of people are really supportive, which I am really grateful for. And there's loads of scenarios where I could have complained, you know, or I could put in the comments being like, oh, for example, after a couple of weeks ago, I did, it was actually, I did 230 by five by accident on the kind of top set. And I literally had three hours sleep. I drove home two hours from the airport at four o'clock in the morning with a one-year-old we had to do a three and a half hour flight with from one o'clock in the morning to about four o'clock obviously it's been a flight was delayed spent about seven hours in the airport with the the maybe and obviously got very little sleep came in and did a full day's work then came home uh, obviously played with my son gave him dinner did all that stuff with him and then i trained at half nine at night you know and i was like oh i could put this in the comments but then i was like nobody gives a fuck you know i was like they just want to see the squat and that's it. Or they don't. No one's care. What difference does it make if I tell yeah. you how hard it is, you know? And then I'm like, maybe it's relatable to people. And, you know, people like seeing the missed lifts and stuff. But I don't find that relatable. I want to see people do big things. I want to see Ilya Ilan dancing in front of the barrel. And destroying it, yeah. yeah. That's what I find motivating is I don't, I know I can miss it. I want to see someone make it. <laughs> oh, I know I can miss it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know it's hard. Yeah. But I want to see someone do it. I think that's far more motivational, you know? And it's kind of along the vein where there's that trend we we're talking about the other day where it's like, are you enhanced or what height are you mm. or what body weight are you yeah. or, oh, you're full-time athlete, you know, yeah. or those kind of things where it's like, that person is only asking that and they say it's, oh, just so I can get a perspective of what my potential is. 
I think that is the biggest cop out ever. No. What difference does it make what someone else's potential is to yeah. you? What really, what difference does it make, you know? Zero. Make any fucking difference to you. Yeah. Like I look at the blue belts in the gym who are beating some black belts, you know, in our gym. Yeah. What difference does it make to the, I can ask them when they start, it doesn't make a fucking bit of difference to me. <laughs> still though it still won't mean you're a fucking tapping black belts like. Yeah, I can ask them how long they're training and it doesn't matter to me. I yeah. there's nothing I can do with that information. Absolutely. Now there's difference practical information. Of course, that's, what, yeah. that's what Seeker Strength is here for. Yeah. The most amount of people, the that's, most amount of practice. If somebody's watching your video saying, what do you cue in your head to do this? Mm-hmm. Or how did you fix that injury you had two months ago? Or mm-hmm. what's your programming look like? Phenomenal. Yeah. Height and weight, please. Yeah, yeah. Why? Or it's like, oh, easy for you or whatever because you're built for squatting. And it's like, what do you want me to do? Something I'm not well built for? <laughs> yeah. What will I go do? Try also, eat. you cannot change that. No, like, but to be fair, most people, vast majority of people who watch it are super supportive. Of the, yeah. The, I didn't appreciate how many people, until I've gotten kind of closer to the end, how many people are watching, you know, who mm. are paying attention, who aren't new, you know, who've been around for a long time yeah. and have been waiting. I see it in the comments all the time and it's amazing. Like especially in the YouTube um, videos and in Instagram posts, you know, where people are like, I can't wait. Um, it's just shocking to me because I didn't know. I thought most people had forgotten, to be honest, because it was six years ago, five years ago or something. Was I didn't it Six be- years ago? It must have been. It must have been 2016. Must have been 2016. That's seven years. Yeah, when did you open the gym? What was the second 2016. Year? Yeah, it was 2016 or so. Maybe 2017. So five to six years ago. So yeah, I try to just really make an effort not to complain. And yeah. I even say it in the training vlogs where I'm like, oh look, this is why I'm doing this. I'm not making an excuse. I'm just saying I couldn't do that today because my hip is really sore or something, you know, or whatever, you know, there's doesn't, I don't. But that's why I really like the, the Tammy podcast is because it's so far removed from us. Yeah. And she's going for so much higher. Yeah. In terms of just tangible stuff. You Absolutely. Know? Like as far as I'm concerned, squatting 300 alone in my shed isn't that big a deal. In some ways, you know, yeah. we're hard trying to make the Olympics. Go, yeah, it's a it's an internationally recognized massive achievement. Yeah, I love, that's why I loved, that's why I really wanted to do the podcast with her. Yeah. Because she had done everything she could do to make herself in that situation, you know. I loved as well where we asked her certain questions and she'd go, oh, I, I actually don't know the answer to that because I'm in the middle of it and not thinking about it. Yes. I love that. Where she's just like, no, it's, I just have a job to do now of training. Mm-hmm. Why would I be thinking about it? Or I'm just getting everything done every day. There's no need for me to be introspective right now. And I think a lot of people could learn a hell of a lot from that. Of like, we don't really need to be super analytical right now. Like, you know what your best step forward is, or you know what a good step forward is. Go training tonight, or um, do your meal prep for the morning, or don't max out your squat. Do four sets of 10 instead. Like, most people know what a better step is. But they'll spend ages trying to find the best step. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's like the more is lost through indecision than poor decision or whatever. It's like Alex is, a lot of people know, coaching me or whatever. And he was on the podcast and there's sometimes he recommends supplements. And I actually don't even know why I'm taking them because I don't, I don't even think about it, you know. Yeah. And he'll tell me why sometimes or he'll tell me why and name it. And I just won't even ask, you know, I really, in that scenario, and we talk about this a lot, like it, it's it's not that thinking about it will make you a worse athlete, but there's no need to waste time thinking about it. No. Because you can think about your training or whatever it is. Like, I employed him to do certain things and I should trust, you know, that he is doing... Absolutely. I trust that I what he tells me is the right thing and I just do it, you know. I uh, I treat jiu-jitsu the exact same way. Like, yeah. don't think... I try and think about it as little as possible. And I remember last year, so this time of year last year, there was a Brazilian athlete over for five or six weeks. Alessandro uh, was there. And he used to have this really weird stance where he'd pin someone's foot in between his legs and he'd go into knee valgus and he's basically on the ball of his feet. So if you're listening to the podcast, not watching, he's on the ball of your feet. Knees come in and touch each other and then basically you hold someone's foot in your crotch. And like everything as weightlifting coaches or as S&C coaches, you're like, oh, knee valgus, not great, you know. And then you start doing it and you're like, Jesus, this feels really weird. And it was only, I'd say, last week I did that to someone as I was passing and I pinned it in there and I was like, oh. My knee hurts. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, oh, I'm just naturally starting to do this now, you know. Yeah. And it was just purely from the point of view of like, I don't, this guy has been training full time since he was eight years old. I do not need to question what he's telling me. Yeah. Like, I know I'm bringing a, a perspective from something else. 
I'm not, I don't have 200 kilos on my back. I'm not trying to squat it. I'm not trying to deadlift a person. I'm literally holding his foot between my legs. I don't need to bring some sort of pig-headed ignorance that being like, oh, actually, it should never be in Belgus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a, a lot of people could do with... More doing. More doing, less thinking. Yeah, a lot of people do think themselves in the corners or think themselves into poor action. I'd say the big time, big time I see it. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. That's what I'm time. thinking about vocabulary <laughs> is when people have max outs coming up and weightlifters are devils for this, where they'll know a max out is coming up and I know they're due a PB and I know they're ready for it and they'll think themselves out of that max out from the week beforehand and they'll just ruin the max out for themselves. People will hit like a snatch triple with their old 1RM and then get a kilo over it for their max. Or they'll miss that triple. Yeah, it's and just... I actually think, I think we're slightly skewed in this case because... I think weightlifters followed by powerlifters are the worst two sports in the world for it. Like in all my dealing with rugby over the years, I've never ever seen somebody think their way out of good performance in rugby. That's but in the gym, most athletes who aren't weightlifters and powerlifters don't think themselves out of no. maxes. They so often, if I had to put numbers on it, the odds are always greater for a non-strength sport athlete to hit PBs in the gym. And it's not because the numbers are smaller. A lot of times the numbers are crazy. Yeah, you know we've had. Literally, rugby players doing sets of 10 with 200 kilos, high bar yeah. back squats, you know, people doing judo, jiu-jitsu athletes, kayakers, sprinters, uh, wrestlers, all fencing. do fencing, all doing really big weights and things relative to themselves or similar to weights that would be done in weightlifting. And a much higher percentage of time when a max out is coming up, they do better in their max outs. Absolutely. And it's because I think a lot of it is they're less individual sports, I think, when they... They just do as they're told and they've gotten into that habit. And that's the habit I try to cultivate for myself because it is a better way of doing things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas weight of things a bit more self-driven and it gets you a little bit, I think. Yeah, and I think people value individuality a lot more in weightlifting than they do. Like there's this kind of trend online about club programming not being good for weightlifting yeah, or not being good for powerlifting. Obviously, We've seen studies, like actual academic studies that show it's great for weightlifting, mm-hmm. everyone being on the same program, but people think it has to be a bit more refined than that, or maybe I do the same program, but I tweak it here and there. It's so much better without the tweaks. But most, pretty much all studies only accommodate for load management. The program is seen as the basis that everyone does the same program. Yeah, Like you, if you look at, uh, read one recently, it was... Rugby players, professional rugby players. No, it was throwers. Sorry, they had like 15 professional throwers. And they did a program. They were looking at their progress compared to previous. It was a pretty long time. It was like six months or whatever. And there was no question of like individuality in terms of the program. Uh, it was, the loading obviously was adjusted according to their maxes. But the, there wasn't even an assumption that they needed s- certain specific changes, you know. Yeah. It was, oh, which is the best program. Not what is the best individual program, you know. And look, people are... Adults and it's their sport and they can they do what they need to do and get what you want and no one's going to, you know, you don't have to buy anything from us, you know, but we wouldn't do the programs we do. We wouldn't have done the app the way we did if we didn't think it was the best, you know, and yes. we had an opportunity to do it a different way. Like we spent a fuck ton of money on the app <laughs> and we spent so long on it, you know, that we could have changed whatever we wanted to do it. It yeah. didn't make a difference. The amount of work would have been the same, but there's a reason we kept going this way because we obviously have the weight of evidence of literally thousands of athletes yeah. progressing, but... We genuinely think it is a more effective way on average. You you don't need as much individualism as you as you can. No. Even when you look at like Olympic level athletes, like Usain Bolt, mm-hmm. these this caliber of a guy or girl who's training, in pretty much every sport, they're training the same training that their team does. Yeah, they're just better. They're just better than them. They're yeah. probably better than them the day they walked in. And everyone's just kind of slowly progressing through the program. Or maybe they can handle certain things better than other people can handle them. But, like, they do the same training everyone else does. Mm -hmm. That's the crazy thing. I remember, this is going way back, but I remember being, like, 17 or 18 and getting... So the Brumbies rugby team, uh, team for the Southern Hemisphere, getting the Brumbies rugby team's off-season and pre-season weight room workouts, like murderous stuff did you get the d-ball and i no i wish i had yeah and i remember getting this being like this is gonna be the game changer you know mm-hmm. 
but it wasn't the game changer. Yeah. Just slightly harder training than I've been doing. It was just combinations of the same exercises in different orders from what I'd done before. And that was it. Like, we've been very lucky to literally go in person to loads of national, even just level weightlifters, international level weightlifters. Mm-hmm. And Bar Miso, because he's the only athlete there. <laughs> Other ones, like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Korea, Romania... Uh, Germany, mm. the program is the program. No one thinks, oh, I need a huge amount of individualization for these athletes. It's the load management. Japanese athletes, the exact Japanese, same. yeah. It's the technical aspect. It's hugely important for weightlifting, of yeah. course. But it's like load management and then how much, in, how committed is the athlete or how into they are they, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, there's nothing wrong with doing it the other way, individualism or anything. We're just saying. No, and I know my own training, like my own S&C stuff, when I choose to do it, or like my own running when I do it, I like a little bit of tweak here and there. Yeah, of course. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Purely, like for me, there's a, and it's it's definitely not a, a professional intrigue, but it's more of a personal interest in that area, where I'm like, I wonder what would happen now if I progress distance rather than progressing pace or whatever, and like pace w- was not manipulated over the course of eight weeks or whatever. Those things interest me hugely. Mm-hmm. But I understand fully when I'm doing them that this is not the way that everyone else does them. Mm-hmm. This is just a little bit of fun in a weird way as a sports science person. Yeah, like the, I suppose both ways work is a thing, you know. Yeah. But one way is much more... Both ways just rely on how much drugs you can take. <laughs> on that note, on that bombshell. <laughs> on that. Thanks for watching. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it. If there's topics you'd like to hear myself and one's opinion on and they have to be non-sport related. No, they can be anything. Put them down, put them down in the comments below and we'll talk to you all again very soon.